So the, the series that we're in is called The End and the Beginning. And the idea in this series as we look at various passages in, in the book of Revelation is to talk about, to confront, to put up for discussion the fact that endings occur. Endings occur all the time. But also, when things end, it opens up the possibility for something new. And in the book of Revelation, the revelation that John has received that he believes with all his heart as he's exiled onto an island for talking about it is that a man rose from the dead. That Jesus rose from the dead and instigated a whole new beginning of humanity. And it brought a whole new significance to what it meant to be human, what was possible with humanity. And John writes the book of Revelation carrying and getting and receiving and sending out visions of what that could look like, what that would look like, how the old order was ending and the new was beginning. And in these next few weeks, these passages we're looking at are these visions of, of what that end of that old way looks like and the newness that came. And, and, the, and the Christians of that time were so inspired and, and so raptured up, you see what I did there, with these ideas that they started to change the world around them in dramatic ways. That, the, that what a human's life was worth and what family relationships looked like, what type of cultures could be possible, how and why people worshiped, all of these things began to change radically to the point where we, we look so different and our ways of thinking are so different because of how thoroughly today, because of how thoroughly 2,000 years, not quite 2,000 years ago, this community and the seven churches in Asia Minor and the others that would read this through over the years, because of how they began to think and do life differently. It was the end of an old order, an old way of doing things in the beginning of something new. So with this, this text this morning, I want to ask you this, this question to guide us into what we've got here. And that's the question of what are the areas of thought in your life that are completely private, that are things you don't share with anybody else, the things you would be really scared if other people were to hear about those thoughts. And I'm not talking about the impulses, like the thoughts with the impulses of like, yeah, I just wanted to smack that person right there, like this impulse that you had and you just let it go. Like everybody has those kind of thoughts, maybe not to smack people, but to do other impulse, gra grab that candy bar, whatever it may be that you didn't pay for, I don't know. But not those, but those things that there's shame attached to. Like the ways that you 
think about yourself or the things you've done or the things that have been done to you or the ways that you think about the world or the lack of hope or faith that you have in yourself or others that feel so private that you would be really afraid to share those with anybody. And what I want to propose this morning as we talk about this is that God wants to move into those areas of your thoughts, those private areas, those shameful areas in your thoughts, those things that you put a lot of energy into protecting yourself from being aware of. And that that can happen, you can be encouraged to do that through this scripture, this text. I've titled this sermon, When God Moves In. And we're gonna talk about that literally and figuratively, when God moves in. In the first couple of verses, I'm gonna reread these first couple of verses. We see the writer talking about something new. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So there's a lot of talk about something new happening here on a grand scale, on even like a cosmic scale. And it is this idea that God makes all things new. It's not that he's, I want you to hear the distinction here. This is really important for everything else that we're gonna talk about. It's really important for where you go in your mind about how you think about pretty much how everything will play out in this world and in your life. The text is not actually saying that God makes all new things, okay? It's not saying that. It's saying that God makes all things new. You get the distinction, right? So one, one way, the first way would be I'm getting rid of everything. And it sort of sounds like that in the beginning of this text, that these, some of this old stuff, it passed away and there was no longer any sea. That seems really random to us, doesn't it? But I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back to that. I'm gonna come to your neighborhood on that. But it's, it's, it's not that God's gonna get rid of everything that has ever been and replace it with something new and foreign, something that doesn't relate or make sense for what we're experiencing right now. But it's that God is going to renew, reinvigorate, and recreate the things that are already in existence. This is a, a, a cornerstone to Christian theology. It's in fact what we see in the person of Jesus because all of it comes back to that. It comes back to all Christian theology comes back to the fact it wasn't somebody had a lot of good ideas or said, ooh, we haven't talked about God this way yet or, oh, I really want people to like eat bread and drink wine every week, so let's figure this out like this. It was that a man raised from the dead. So it was something that was old and dying and decaying that was renewed and made new. And as we look at this, we see evidence of this as we, continue, as we continue to look here because this city, this new Jerusalem 
is, is like descending out of heaven. This is metaphorical, right? This is a vision. If you were to put together all of John's visions that he's saying about what's happening, it, it wouldn't fit in reality. He knows that. He's talking to you in metaphors and visions. So this city is coming down. It's the new Jerusalem. It's not a garden though. It, it's a place that's been cultivated by human beings. That's the difference between a garden and a city. It's the eventual evolution of a garden is a city, right? Like if you, if you start harvesting the plants and you start setting up trellises, well, then you've got some produce and then you need buildings to store it in and then you're staying in that spot. So you have to build buildings around that. And a city is what emerges when human beings get a hold of it. This is our first clue about how God is making things new. It's a building upon and a support of what we have been doing all this time. It's not a wipe it all out and I'm gonna put something completely different, completely foreign, or better yet, we're just gonna float around like spirits in some disembodied realm and nothing that mattered before or nothing that we did before matters at all. But there's culture here, there's advancements, there's technologies, there's cultivation. I can imagine as the city's coming down, you start to hear the traffic lights and you hear somebody calling for their taxi or their camel or whatever, depending on what time period you lived in, right? And somebody's shouting at their kid to come home for dinner and the street sweepers coming through and the, uh, the coffee shops brewing fresh coffee in the morning, right? And somebody coming home off of night shift. It's a city. And this is, this is what's coming down. It's God building and working with human progress, human imagination. It's not a cutting off and a reinvention of what we have now here and today. It's also scary, close, and intimate with God. In, in, in verse three, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the theme all throughout scripture is where is God? How close is God? How far away is God? How, how do we interact with this God that feels so far away sometimes? Will God take care of us? Will God protect us? Will God save us? Will we be okay? And in this vision of this, this new shining city coming down, it says that God will be right there in the middle of that holy city, right up next to us. And and John's imagination, as we've talked about in this series already, is so expansive, it's so, it's so big, it's bursting at the seams of what could be thought of as possible for people of his day and his time. And it's, it's exemplified in this one little word in the Greek here that's just a little bit different than what it would look like if it was pronounced by some other type of vision or some other type of hope or way that it could be. And that's this Greek word laos, which typically would mean a people group, a people group. So again, we talked about this last week. It's easy to imagine, and, and, the, and the people, the Israelites that uh, make up the, the testimonies of the Old Testament, 
they had this vision of a God that was their God that would save them and would save the people like them or close to them. But this subtle change here in the Greek is to a plural of the same word. So that now you have here this God coming and dwelling with the peoples of the world, not just a people. Interesting to to some people is that this word appears singular and plural depending on what copy of the text that you have. And so there's scholars arguing about the merits of, well, maybe he just meant a single people and maybe they changed it to the peoples instead of people. Now, when we look at some of the other passages in Revelation, like the one we looked at last week, it showed people of everywhere, of all kinds, of all, every demographic in this city and in this entire world is there, right? So it's, I'm kind of like, well, that's, that's a, kind of a no-brainer to me if it's peoples or people, depending on the, the copy there. But I, I tend to believe some of the editors, some of the copiers of this text were scared by that. They were actually afraid of the plural of this word. They were afraid that this new city, that this place that was built upon the progress and the achievements and the hearts and the souls and the hopes of human beings, that it included everybody. And so maybe they wanted to change it back. I don't know. This idea, this building this imagination and construction, this future building that John is taking part in with God, pushing this vision forth, it started in the person of Jesus, in the incarnation. Because what happened in the incarnation was that heaven and earth joined. This is what we see happening in this passage. Heaven and earth joining together in a human being in that form. And this is the eventual conclusion. Once it starts, you can't stop it. It's gonna keep going. And the full manifestation of this is this thriving, beautiful new city of all peoples who's got God dwelling in the midst of them. There's no temple in this city. There's no place of worship because every action that people are taking in this new city is a means of worship. The artists and the street sweepers and the folks playing basketball, boo, uh, Grizzlies lost, that sucks. Um, And uh, all the folks, everything that they're doing is an act of worship. So there's no need for a temple. God's right there in their midst. It's this closeness. It's this God moving in. Here's what I've I've come to believe and think about what's happening here in this this text that John shares. And it's going to sound familiar to, to some of you who've been around for a little while. John is future building here. He he is hearing from God and through his words, similar to what Jesus did, he's building a future and a hope that had not been fully conceived or thought of before. And I think our job is to do the same thing, 
to make use of what we have, to build in our first, in our imaginations, in our words, and in our thoughts, and in the private places that we don't want anybody else to go, to allow new things to emerge, to allow God to move in. Somebody can only have this type of large-scale imagination if divinity is involved. And so I think this applies to each area of our life. I think that we can easily get caught up in the mundane of our lives and not believe that there is a bigger, grander vision, a bigger possibility of what can take place even in just our little community right here in Memphis, Tennessee. I think also this is why the idea of a rapture came about in recent years in the book of Revelation. Anybody familiar with this, this whole rapture thing? Even if you're not a Christian, uh, you, you might've heard about it from other Christians and it was like, yeah, that's actually why I stayed out of church for 10 years because that was a really weird idea. It was this idea that like all these terrible things were literally gonna occur in this totally figurative and metaphorical and mystical book revelation and that all of God's people were gonna be like shuttled out of there or disappear and there were all these movies that came out, you know, like somebody's flying a plane and poof, they're gone and then the plane goes out and somebody's hailing a taxi, right? And they get in the ta taxi driver's gone and the city's just going crazy and everybody's dealing with all this trauma. That, that idea is about 70 years old and, and 2,000 years of, of, of Christian history. But I think it's something that we do all the time. I think we want to escape because our imaginations get too, I know I do. I want to get away sometimes. I just want to be not where I'm at. I want to be out of my situation, out of my skin, out of my body. I want to escape. I want God to just wipe it all out. I want to be gone somewhere else. I want to not have to deal with the problems and the pain and the sadness of living in this world. Don't you? You ever feel like that? Just want to, just want to leave it? Just want to sleep and sleep and sleep? Just want to numb it out with alcohol and uh, other addictions and other problems and those kind of things. I want to escape. I want to get out of it. But that's not the story of Christianity. It's not a story of escaping. It's not a story of leaving the rest of the wretches behind or the relationships that are too complex for us or the family members that don't see things our way or said some hurtful things to us or our friends that don't no longer hold our same political convictions. It's not a story of that. It's a story of God moving in, coming closer and, and, and living with a little boy with scraped knees calling out for his mama and the calloused hands of a carpenter and a man who died, was lynched, was killed on a cross in a wicked and evil empire who stayed near. God moved in. And this is a story of God continuing to move in, to move closer. So the story doesn't resolve by us escaping. The story resolves when we invite God to move in. I bet you were thinking like, what is that private? What's he talking about these thoughts in the beginning of this, these private thoughts? That's what I'm talking about. Inviting God to move closer in because escapes not what's coming. 
God's gonna come nearer to those things with us. And, and when he gets there, it's gonna make things new. Now, there's, there's different people sitting and hearing this, different in this way. Some people are hearing this from a position where they feel oppressed and depressed. And for them, a passage like this can catalyze hope. It can, it can allow somebody to persevere a little bit longer, to have a vision for what the future could look like, for what people are actively pursuing and trying to future build with God to see this reality come to fruition. And there are some of us who feel like we have some power and some agency and some energy and our job when we're feeling that way, when we're in that place in life, is to invite people in and to dream bigger and to invite God in, to ask God to move into our vision of the future, to enlarge it, to make it more than just climbing to the next step in our career or getting that house that you get when you're 40 or getting the certain types of car and lifestyle that we want. It's gotta be bigger and more. It doesn't have to be, but I want it to be for you. I want it to be for me bigger than that. I'm up here all by myself this morning. John's building, he's future building with God. But you know what's interesting? He's not working from scratch. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, I want you to see this in the text here. I think we have it on the screen as well, starting in verse 17. See, this is the prophet Isaiah. This is from his prophetic imagination. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people, singular, a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. You see some of the parallels, but also some of the, the differences there. John is, is building off of the prophetic ima imagination of Isaiah, but there are some really important changes from the vision that Isaiah saw and gave out in the vision that John sees. You see, John sees peoples. The peoples of the world are there, not just Isaiah's people are there. And, and he sees not just Jerusalem restored to its former glory back in the olden days, in our glory days, right? The golden age of, it, of Jerusalem. But he sees, John sees a new city bustling with all the peoples of the world, with God's literal presence right there in the center of it. And in and, Isaiah's passage, he says, you won't hear weeping and crying. But in John's even larger imagination, touched by the presence of Jesus, he says, you know what? God is gonna be right so close to you. He's gonna see your tears He's going to see your pain and wipe them away, God's own self. Wow. I, I wonder in each of our minds and hearts, I wonder 
how many things are limited just because of our imaginations. Just because our imaginations are too small, just because we start saying, no, that can't happen, that's not possible because of X, Y, and Z, before these beautiful, amazing visions that God is constantly flooding our world with, they're just going unattended to. I wonder. There's a, there's a poet and um, he's a Persian poet, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his, his name right, Hafiz. Um, he's, he, he's a theosophical and mystical Persian poet, very famous uh, in the world of poetry. <laughs> uh, and there was this poem I just thought of of his, and it's not, it, it's a very short poem, but it reminds me of this idea of imagination. And it's not uh, the, the most uh, politically correct poem either, but I'm gonna read it. It's called Two Giant Fat People. And it says this, God and I have become like two giant fat people living in a tiny boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing. I think that's the possibility with our divine imaginations. I think that that's how much is accessible to us when our imaginations grow, that we would just be constantly bumping into bigger and bigger visions of God. And we ourselves feel big and full of the potentials and the possibilities of what could happen if we were to allow those thoughts, allow those visions to come into the world. You see, we're not, we're not all um, artists, right? We're, we're not all people who uh, create things that don't exist on paper, but we are all called to testify and witness to this God right here. Whether you're playing basketball, whether you're working uh, for a nonprofit or a for-profit, right? Whatever you're doing, there's a possibility for your imagination and God's partnership and building to get so big, you can't stop bumping into it. Can't stop bumping into it. You know, I said I was gonna go back to this and I'm gonna go back to it now. In the beginning, in the first verse, it says there was no longer any sea. Why is that? Does God hate the sea? Didn't he make the sea? What's going on here with this, right? Like, how do you get rid of the sea of all things? Well, for John's readers and in the ancient world context, the sea represented chaos. And it was where, if you know the book of Revelation where this beast that comes out of the sea and has to be conquered by God and the witness of others and is thrown back in there and stuff like that. And even the sea was thought of as a different place than the land if you died at sea, like it was different than dying on land and being buried because you didn't get a burial. It was, it was chaos, right? Couldn't control it. You had to go across it by a boat. Right? That'll, make, that'll make you think the sea is evil right there, just having to travel from one place to another on a boat and like, you know, fighting off sharks and, and giant squids as you do, right? And um, so 
when, when John is saying there, there's not gonna be a sea any longer, there's still water, by the way, in the end of the verse, there's a, there's a river of living water in the text. He's saying this chaotic element, this element that represents evil, that represents the things that would jeopardize this holy city are no longer present, right? They're no longer with us. They're no longer in the equation. And, and I think this is important, not just for John's prophetic imagination, but for ours. You see, the thoughts that we have, the limiting beliefs about what God can or would do, or the things that God apparently will only do after we die, those can be thought of in a way as these chaotic waters, these things that limit what we believe God can and would do if we were willing. So here's something just kind of practical for you to think about. Have you ever done something just called a thought experiment? A thought experiment. The idea around a thought experiment is to suspend judgment about whether the thing you're talking about would work or not. And I'll preface this, your spouse is not the best person to start this process with, usually. It's usually best start it with, well, maybe even yourself or somebody else who, who's not really closely attached to what you're talking about. It's easier for them to suspend judgment. But the idea is that you follow an idea as far as you can, as long as you can, as wide as you can, to just see what comes up. Like what happens if I don't let the chaos of the sea just conquer this idea before it gets going? And I think that is a totally appropriate and ordained thing for Christians to do, to engage in, is to to see what would happen if I allowed the future to be built by inviting God into my imagination, into what could be possible starting right here inside of me. In verse four, it says of God that he will wipe every tear from their eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. What I think is what catches my attention about this passage, this part of the passage that I think is so relevant to what we're talking about right now, is this idea of newness, making things new, not creating new things, but renewing the things that are, is the presence of God coming near these weeping, mourning people does not wish it all away not acknowledge it, say, just be happy and joyful. But God comes and delicately and carefully and with kindness and compassion sees those mourning and grieving people from the real things that were lost, the things that they have struggled through, the pain that they have had, the ways that they have gone without just even the most basic needs that human beings need. And it says he wipes those tears away. I don't think John's picture of the new city is possible without this 
without this moment. Here's why I say that. I know that when I have hurts and pains and sorrow that don't get looked at, that don't, don't get, that I don't let somebody else see, that I don't let God see, that I don't offer up for healing, it limits my imagination. I'm constricted by those things that need to be healed, that need to be seen, the compassion that needs to be administered to me. And so my imagination shrinks. I mentioned this before, and this is kind of the, the closing uh, part that I want to I talk about here as we end. In verse 6, the last verse that we're looking at in this text, John says of God, he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Last week, we talked about the, we, we recited the 23rd Psalm with the Lord is my shepherd and uh, makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. You know, you could, you could insert in there like you can, lead a, you can lead an Israelite to water, but you can't make them drink, right? He leads me beside still waters. But you gotta admit you're thirsty and then take a drink. Admit you're thirsty and take a drink. God, move in. Move into this imagination. Move into this thing. I'm, I was, I've been convinced that I'm the only one who needs to look at it or handle it or see it. It's too painful. It's too shameful. I can't go there. Uh, a few years ago, I think it was 2019, um, I, invited, I invited God into my childhood. Sounds kind of weird, right? And I asked God to be with me in my imagination in a moment that I remembered as a child and to see me in that space. Sounds weird, but it's also kind of weird you know, we're looking at this text and God's saying, I'm the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, in between and through and around and in between all things. So I'm thinking in Revelation, it says God's with them and he will wipe every tear from their eye. That means somewhere in my future, that's God's present. He's already wiping the tears out of my eyes. So maybe I can invite him to do that in the past too. Maybe I'm the one in my imagination who's been limiting where and when I can get a drink of that water, where and when I can taste that living water that God is offering in some way. Maybe I gotta ask God to move in more into my life, into my heart, into the things that I kept as private that I'm just gonna deal with on my own. And maybe I could see something new happen and my imagination could expand Let's pray.